God on the move. The war and the migration and the corruption and the poverty brings in a dynamic understanding of which world we are in and which world we are going to bring uh, the gospel in and growing the church so that the church becomes uh, a sending church to the world. The Democratic Republic of Congo is one of the largest countries in Central Africa that for the last three decades has been undergoing war and conflict in Eastern Congo. And this has also affected the church and mission. And in that context, it also has informed the mission of the church. The spirituality or the spiritual context of Congo has changed from being a stable church to a church undergoing war, violence and migration, with internal displacement and some external displacement. You are listening to God on the Move, a Lausanne movement podcast. And this is a story about how God is at work in Eastern Congo. The voice you heard earlier is Irastan Kigoma, and the passage I quoted was from him too. He's the executive director at the Center for Intercultural Mission and Research. At the heart of their work is to promote the excellence of mission in Africa's churches through discipleship and theological training. Let's listen to Irastan in their incredible work and God-sized vision. We are involved in the ministry of the Center for Intercultural Missions and Research through which we are evolving mission mobilization and discipleship. Then uh, we have leadership and capacity building. And then we have some projects that are linked to the biblical justice and the mercy ministry or mission. And then grassroots training and research, intercultural research. We dream to see Congo becoming one of the greatest missions sending forces in in our generation, especially in the global south, joining the other sending forces. We have discovered that there is a missiological neglect of Congo for two reasons, or maybe three, that once when the early missionaries, African missionary, Congolese, Western missionary left, They left at a very particular time where they didn't understand it was too sensitive to continue caring for uh, the missionary mind. So it became like all the African and the church were against the mission. And so churches started struggling by itself for over 50 years. Then a missionary became known as a white person and someone coming in with some handout. And also churches started being planted for the sake, rather than bringing the idea of spreading the gospel, it brought in the idea of spreading the planting of denominations. And and that is too dangerous. That missiological neglect brought a dangerous set into the church mindset. And we are trying to work it out to bring back on the front line the idea of discipling the nations. And Congo being one of the greatest strategic nations with within it more than 400 ethnic group of tribes or nations, so saying in a mythological language. It is an opportunity for us to push the church back to get involved into 
the wrestling with and grappling with the issue and the story of God through the process of mission and discipleship and understanding that the gospel is to all nations. Secondly, Congo has is said to be more than 90%, 92, some other says 96, although we always question the, some of the data in terms of unreached people groups and the like. But we're grateful that those data exist. But uh, that church has been said not to be deep, uh, the depth in terms of discipleship, so that the church can be owning, taking the, the gospel to the ends of the earth. It needs to be rooted to be the depth of, uh, in terms of discipleship, mission and missional practices. It needs to grow in terms of uh, practicing the habit and the Christian mandate rather than it being strong in terms of spreading the church buildings, spreading the, the denominations and, and the system. And we see that it is good to also focus on encouraging the church to grow in terms of discipleship. As discipleship at the local church level, the nearby culture, the far culture and the further culture that the church will become experienced in practicing missions and discipleship. Number three, that there is the war and the language. The world, the Francophone world, because of how France has gone toward being pagan, allow me the theme, the word, that France, which is leading the Francophone world, and Congo being the second speaking Francophone country of the world. So it has no role model in terms of spreading the gospel. And Congo become more strategic in taking the gospel to the other Francophone world, especially in Africa, where we have 19 countries that is contaminated by the French, even the style, the French route, the Francophone route. But also eastern part of Congo is also the third in speaking Swahili among the 14th country. But these opportunities we have next to it, the culture of Congolese who, are, who enjoy traveling as part of their hobbies. You will get them everywhere. You get people keep telling me, hey, we came across this young man. He says he, he knows you. He says he comes from your city. And so we can send the Congolese chat to the ends of the earth using those opportunities. But the war and the French is the hindrance because the Anglophone, the English world is still connected to the gospel. And then we have to try to rewrite the story of God in the context of Congo and the context of Francophone world here today, not only in Congo, but in the whole global South Francophone world try to see what we can add in our lifetime. And mobilization is trying to equip people through a discipleship, tell them they can own it, teach them to develop the culture of giving out what they have in terms of resources and trying to contextualize it. Then the leadership brings in the idea of now building the capacity of the people in terms of mission, equipping missionaries who are willing to go, equipping Christian leaders for God's mission, 
and that is part of what we are doing with Caleb through Leadership International that we are establishing biblical leadership training centers, which we are using, utilizing for two ways. And I'm excited about what's happening already. That um, 80%, if, if not more, of people who are involved into church activity and work and ministry, most of them didn't go for theological education. Uh, neither uh, did they get access to leadership. And we have good material from Leadership International that has provided 10 courses. And then this is pushing the church and the, the people going through the program aiming for the next two years to reach 200 people. Christian leaders are equipped through that, that they can push discipleship in the world around them so that we make sure we are now, the school of mission that we have is working to benefit to the effort of mobilizing the church for God's mission. So ministry here is becoming a more strategic, trying to equip and point the Christian world to God's mission from this very corner of the world. And then we have the Oasis of Hope project that aim at uh, ministering to pastors who serve and Christian leaders who serve in the very remote, affected, most affected war zone and have not access to any biblical, theological education and leadership and mission. And so we give them a whole packet of holistic and transformational ministry that is able to help them minister to themselves and bring about the issue of the shalom, being restored with their God in the relationship with their God and leading the church into that process, restoration with self, because people who have gone through wars are very affected and their self-esteem is really affected. And they have a kind of you can see their behavior even in our camps. You wonder, are these people serving the Lord? And when you take them through those process and the restoration with others and with the creation, and that's where we bring care of creation. Like here at the office, they had just also finished the harvesting of the sugar canes. So whenever we travel, we find some plants or, or seeds, we just plant them. Last time, if some corn seed that we are giving to the wives of pastors that they can do urban farming, that you, they have just one tree. It's part of the mission that if they can be able to contribute to feeding their family, it, it, it's such a joy that you don't stay idling and waiting for heaven because have, heaven has come to the world through you. And so we try to be more strategic and we, we had finished the, the one which was focusing on equipping the Christian Union on renewing the creation. We, we also have trainings related to holistic ministry through which uh, we integrate a lot of, of the staff related to care of creation, to mission and ministry. If we're having some of the books from Dev Booklets, Last time, my son, Caleb, he succeeded. He made it for, and then he was asked by a, a seminary in Kenya to write his resume, and he had to write his, his testimony. And he said that it is through this Jezero Deshe, a God and zero waste, that he discovered that the need for spiritual growth is necessary for someone living here in the global South. 
he has surrendered his life to Christ. But this small book he read in the office, and he's he's giving it to all the younger people around him, discipling the people that uh, know if we are disciples of Christ, we need to live the gospel out. And he, during this time, he was not going to school. He's bringing teenagers to come and read books, <laughs> come and read book and write the summaries, and the team push them back to the team for people to do kind of presentation. And so you see grassroots training mainly to Christian leaders, Christian union leaders for the universities and, and all the churches that we are using it as a platform, not only to grow trust, but also, and most importantly, to introduce the idea of the shalom to them. And the shalom brings in the Lausanne idea of who God is and, and the world to be known and how to bring God to the ends of the earth. Which church do we bring to the ends of, which gospel do we bring to the ends of the earth from our very corner? And the other point is that we want the church to know that there is a story that God is writing. And the story of God in Eastern Congo is so strategic that it's going to help if the church grows with that mindset that it is the story of God. The church in Eastern Congo will be more strategic in pointing out a world torn by war to the gospel and to Christ. I appreciate that was a lot to take in. So let me give you a very short summary. The Democratic Republic of Congo, or DRC, faces issues on various levels. Decades of missiological neglect left the country with a large percentage of nominal Christians, an extremely distorted idea of mission. However, despite many and far-reaching problems, Erastan sees these also as opportunity for the gospel. As the second largest French-speaking nation and the third biggest Swahili-speaking population, the DRC has the chance and the mandate to become more strategic in taking the gospel to the other Francophone world and most of Africa. When confronted with the gospel, many nominal Christians and those who mix Christianity with other religious beliefs and witchcraft come to see the goodness of God and the importance of surrender and discipleship. With the support of the Lausanne Leadership Journey, the Centre of Intercultural Missions and Research equips young leaders and Christians with theological education and training for missions and church leadership. Further, the Oasis of Hope initiative supports pastors and Christian leaders in the remote war zones. All training involves awareness for creation care, grassroots training for shalom, theological education and discipleship. In order to understand the context in which all of this takes place, it can be helpful to get an outside perspective on the situation. Caleb Davison is the International Director for Leadership International and Chair of the Lausanne Younger Leaders Missional Resources. Let's hear it from him. From a Western perspective, it's helpful to understand the context in which Erastin and his team serves is very different from the environment that I grew up in. I think in the majority world, often poverty, persecution, corruption, conflict, often they all come together and there's this storm of it seems impossible to do ministry it seems difficult there's a lack of opportunity lack of resources all of those things but to see ministry thriving in that context 
I think, honors the Lord. It shows that gospel-centered ministry is a miracle. I remember I was going to come to DRC last year, and there was some news on the television or radio about conflict in DRC, and my mother-in-law said, Caleb, are you sure it's okay to go to DRC? I don't know if it's safe right now. So I called Erastin. I said, is it safe right now to come? I just wanted to check. And his response was, no, it should be safe. The, the rebel forces are at least 30 miles away from here. And for an American, for a Westerner to hear, that doesn't sound like a safe environment with rebel forces 30 miles away from the city I'm visiting or flying into. But for Erastin, his understanding of safety and security is completely different than mine. And the world in which he's grown up with is far less secure. And it's challenging for, for me to hear that. And, and how much do we value the work of God? And is conflict a barrier to that work? And ultimately, the answer is no. It's easier said than done, of course. Um, but when you see your brothers and sisters laboring uh, day after day, in some of the most difficult environments. I would say DRC is one of the most difficult environments because you have that corruption, you have conflict, you have poverty and some persecution as well. All of those coming together and yet you see ministry thriving because I think the basic biblical context is where there's a need, a genuine, authentic human need, there's a wonderful platform and opportunity to share the gospel. And so I think what Erastin and his team have uh, discovered is that all of these challenges are an opportunity to present and share the gospel. And I think that's why they're seeing so much fruit. He shared the story in the article of Adam and his story and his opportunity to share the gospel with one of the most unreachable people in the world, potentially the leader of rebel of a rebel group in the dark woods of, of the Congo. He was able to get to him and share the gospel because of the difficulties going on. And through that gospel witness directly to the rebel leader, that entire rebel group was eventually dismantled. And so um, the power of God setting people in place, providing opportunity through conflict and war to share the gospel with some of those difficult people on earth is quite amazing. And the impact of really his, the rebel leader's life was changed very quickly. And that led to incredible effect on the entire rebel group, as Erastin shared in the article. This article Caleb is referring to was published in the July 2023 edition of the Lausanne Global Analysis. You can find the link attached in the podcast notes. It tells the incredible story of Adam and gives even more background information on the situation in Congo. It's well worth a read in addition to this podcast. The war and the migration and the corruption and the poverty brings in a dynamic understanding of which world we are in and and which world we are going to bring the gospel in and growing the church so that the church becomes uh, a sending church to the world that is, is alike. And then uh, the next challenge that I've come to understand and that's what attract me to uh, research why the church from this kind of the world is not now being very pragmatic in bringing the gospel to the other world from the western understanding and and what we from this world we need to learn if we are 
again to preach uh, the gospel from our world to another world, a world of supermarket, a world of restaurant, a world full of whatever you planned is going to happen. And context-wise, we also start behaving like understanding the context and then knowing this is the framework, the frame in which we are to equip the church, mentor the church, and then point the church to transform its world, to be part of the transformation. And this is the testimony that it needs to carry and be a witness of Christ to all nations of the earth. Before we continue with the story, I want to let you know that we want to share mission stories from the global church with the global church. So if you have a story to share or know someone who might have, please contact us at podcast at lausanne.org. That is podcast at lausanne.org. The church in Ukraine now is experiencing what we are going through. And last year I was talking to some theologians from Ukraine and telling them how to continue revive and taking care of the creation as part of our Christian mandate in the war zone. And they were like, well, we, we didn't know this. And then we need to think this new context is to be taken good care of, that we bridge the gospel through this kind of new culture being created, the culture of war, conflict, migration. And there are people who totally need Christ, but are also wounded. They are also hungry. They are also desperate. Yesterday, I met a lady who told me that when she was praying, and then she decided to tell someone, if you are talking to me about God, then leave my house. We've been praying that God is not responding. I know of a young guy who we found praying, he was asking, God, you are there in heaven. If you are no longer able to respond to carry, then move from heaven that we sent another God there. That is trauma. It's frustration. And they also need to understand God, having a view of God and restored relationship with God, their creator. Last week, I introduced in a class, I was introducing the biblical overview and then was helping the leaders to understand that why is it good to understand the Bible as a story of God, not as Old Testament and New Testament. Then I talk about the three verbs that God used the verb think, he said, then he did. And that is what is needed in our war world, that people need to grow in their thinking. They need also to proclaim the gospel, thinking about the God, about his word, about the scripture. And when they know that this Bible is the word of God, then they will also live it out. And what the church in the war context, in the migrative countries context, in this majority world, they need to Christianity disciples, discipleship should refocus on those three stuff for the restoration, uh, those three level God, self, others, and creation. For many, the focus on discipleship is challenge enough. However, we must not forget that for Erastan and others, all of this happens in the context of war and persecution. For them, it's not just a challenge of discipleship and discipline, 
but the big question of courage and wisdom. How do you draw the line between courageously taking reasonable risks and foolishly putting yourself and others in life-threatening danger? This is something I've finally understood, that when you read the book of Proverbs, chapter 8, tells us that when you know God, you need to develop character. Because the first gospel message is the leader. That's what I've understood. The first gospel message is not the Bible. It's what the leader is living out. And the leader also is going through pains. Is maybe uh, does not know the issue of salaries, upkeep, and whatever. But how are you navigating with this? And which character do you have? And this brings in the idea of emotional capital. That how are you your behavior as a Christian and that character that you develop and build and the team everyone builds around as we teach, we equip, we encourage the other leaders, the way we navigate with them. And then that the knowledge plus that character is what the world, they are, they, like our world expects someone who is wise and that is wisdom in the Bible. But again, in the same Bible, it is said that wisdom need to go together with prudence. You don't need to know, like you see how we deal about it. Last time we have been running a Oasis of Hope program, we, have few, we teach people in a set of 15 to 20 Christians from the war zone, and we select the safer place in a war zone where we can go and we feel we are safe, like we are at 20 miles, we are at 20 miles or 35, 40 miles, 50 miles from the rebels, then they can travel because sometimes the rebels are known on they know them. Some are their family members, militia people, but they are not our family members. Then we can arrange the class at that very city or village. And we make sure our class are not taking too long. Just the time information can come so that they know, many majority world knows that when they call you a missionary, then they know you have money. Then after three, three days, three, maximum five, we will come back for another session. And then these people have owned it and they go with assignment. And... We are we use prudence organizing like recently with the M23. Then we discover we can no longer organize two classes. We discover we better merge two classes so that people will come from two corners, and the two classes were merged into one in Goma, which is more safer, safer. And and we try to see we better use a very higher high cost for a training, for an event, rather than saving money for the issue of exposing our staff, our team, and some member to travel in an area where it is dangerous. And that helps us. And again, we just want to make sure the events or the activity and the training, we focus on the people who are most strategic. Caleb shared the story of Luzolo, a participant of one of these leadership trainings. For safety reasons, we have changed his name. He didn't speak great English, so we were able to translate a little bit and get bits and pieces, but his village had just been 
attacked by the rebel forces. I think his home might have been destroyed. And he has a wife, kids, and he left that to come to this training hundreds of miles away because he saw the value of being equipped biblically, theologically, not just for himself, but to go back to that environment and be a light for the gospel. And so he couldn't just come directly. He had to take a very long route to get to the training south of him uh, to avoid the rebel forces. There are several different groups I think he had to avoid. So he had to take uh, a motorbike, a boat, a bus, a car. I don't know how many different things he did, but it took him, I think, two days to get to us, to get to the biblical training, which absolutely blew my mind in terms of his commitment to this, not to mention the risk for his life to travel near these rebel groups and also leaving his wife and family and friends behind just because of his desire to grow in the word of God, what Arastin is talking about, that character, that biblical understanding. And it was not a selfish, he didn't do it for, for a certificate or for a diploma. He did it so that he could go back to his people and be a light for the gospel. And there is another guy who is a pastor with a Baptist church. That village is used to be for people who maybe was working with the national park and other were farmers and other are fishermen. Then you see the main activity there is not farming, it's fishing, uh, going to fish and selling. It's a, a city, this kind of African village full of prostitution and corruption and many bad behaviors. He was appointed to replace a pastor who was caught into adultery. And he came to take over from that pastor who was suspended and then wanted to start this course. And he only got true students from his church. But the other churches showed up, church leaders. Then as they went through the first course, biblical overview, then they went through the second one as a Christ-centered life. Then they went through biblical preaching. As they were going through those courses, the people came back and said, we understand why we are both in church and we continue living a sinful life. Our life hasn't really changed because the word of God hasn't transformed our life and our character. And he said, now he discovered that even the church Bible studies are overcrowded in those churches where there are people who are attending the classes. And he was making an appeal for me to send uh, more teachers because he wanted people to experience other teachers. And there was someone who volunteered that he will go and to do two classes. Um, and I was amazed to notice that his ministry is now affecting the character and the city in terms of behavior, in terms of discipleship. And people can be genuine disciples of Christ because hypocrisy used to be their way of living. You are both in church and you are into prostitute. Among his students, one told him, I am a prostitute. You guys never knew I was involved into prostitution in this city. Now that I'm going through this course, I discover that my life is to change. 
So I think that happened in the mining areas, in the war zone, in many other ways, there are promiscuity and people are living a duplicating life. As always, there is so much more to say and so many other stories to share. But we believe that it is so important that we, as the body of Christ, stand together in prayer and intercession. So I asked both of them what the global church can do and how we can pray. I think the global church needs first not to be blaming itself. There is a new theology growing, especially in Cambridge, that people are talking about issues like decolonizing the, the mission or whatever. The worst is continuing throwing into the mission industry, building on something which is not real. The colonization happened during the Great Awakening that sent missionaries. Then what the politician did is what the world has been reflecting on for hundreds, dozens of years. And now we are coming into confusion and they don't know how to pray for us and think that uh, they are responsible. I think the global church is not responsible. The global church should pray that we will be able to experience a new awakening that will happen during the colonial era, a new awakening that Congo and Africa will wake up and take the gospel to the ends of the earth and use what we are experiencing as an opportunity not as a hindrance, but as an opportunity. And uh, I think it is wise and it is purposeful. God knows why we are experiencing this now and we are here now. I have to confess that this response caught me by surprise, mainly because it's a perspective that I personally have never heard before. I was taken aback by the perspective of grace, healing and clear differentiation between politics and mission. I know that not everyone can agree with this opinion and might feel very strongly about this, but we value diversity of thought and opinion. Regardless of where you stand, the prayer for awakening in Africa should not be compromised by this. However, I need to emphasize that this statement cannot be taken out of context and must not, under any circumstances, be politicized. Global mission is not and can never be an excuse for war crimes and colonialism. We are all just ink in God's pen writing his story. And the ink is writing God's mind, God's heart. We are not writing politics. We are writing the story of God. And I think the global church is to pray and also get involved into what is happening in terms of partnership, in terms of we are in this together praying. They have some of the experience that we can contextualize. The global church needs to fill the gap of the missiologically neglect era, 50 years that we lost. We are not babishing, but we are growing now we have a story to tell. The global church has the story to tell. I, I would say personally, my calling is to stand behind people serving the Lord like Erastin and support them because they're on the front lines of this really strategic gospel ministry. 
so personally, that's why I do this. I, I think for the global body of church, I think the word that comes to mind is boldness. Um, you think of Acts 4, but uh, John and Peter in prison, and they come out and they pray for more boldness. I think there's two sides of that boldness. There's the boldness for people like Peter and John who are on the front lines proclaiming the gospel. They need boldness because they are facing legitimate persecution and conflict and the threat of death. There's no question about that. There's boldness. But I think there's also boldness for us on the on the back line who are supporting them, who also need boldness to be willing to associate with them and boldness to engage with them and support them and pray for them and provide what they need because their witness is so strategic. We need boldness to associate with them. And, and of course, Matthew 25, whatever you do for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, Jesus is saying, where the body of Christ is hurting and suffering and in need, and we serve those brothers and sisters in Christ, we're serving Jesus Christ himself. And um, so we need the boldness to engage in that way. And I think that's the heart of God is for the unity of his body. And in these conflict zones, we cannot neglect those parts of the body by any means. They may be the most difficult to connect with and to be unified with, but that's also where the need is the greatest. And so I think for those on the back line, the support line, those not uh, serving directly in conflict zones, we need the boldness to engage, to wake up, to be praying, to be supporting and serving Jesus Christ himself when we serve our brothers and sisters in need. You've listened to God on the Move, Lausanne Movement Podcast, where we want to listen to mission stories from the global church. Through listening to what God is doing around the world, we hope to encourage and challenge the global church to faithful obedience to the Great Commission. So let's accelerate global mission together toward a vision for the gospel for every person, disciple-making churches for every people and place, Christ-like leaders in every church and sector, and kingdom impact in every sphere of society. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, be sure to subscribe and follow us for more.